Let's be honest. Life's hard sometimes. We get discouraged, struggle in our faith, and it's easy to feel alone. Despite how you might feel sometimes, know that God's got your back. And so do we. Vision's prayer line team are ready to pray for whatever you're going through. Text your prayer request to 0401 132 888 and we will be praying for you. Or click prayerline at vision.org.au. That's 0401 132 888 or vision.org.au. It's another way Vision is helping you look to God daily. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. The dust is beginning to settle on the shameful, disturbing attack on the author Salman Rushdie in the UK. He was delivering a lecture on the 12th of August when a man rushed onto the stage and allegedly stabbed Rushdie numerous times. Salman Rushdie wrote a novel called The Satanic Verses back in the 1980s. Because he was a critic of Islam, the Ayatollah Khomeini, the then supreme leader of Iran, issued what's called a fatwa, calling for his death. And since then, Salman Rushdie has been the subject of several assassination attempts and death threats. And it's reported there have even been numerous killings and bombings by extremists motivated by his book. Well, our special guest today alludes to the fact that this level of fear and intimidation equates to a de facto blasphemy law that operates in the West. Evidence for that might be in the very cautious coverage of media outlets afraid to criticise religious extremist violence. James McPherson is an independent journalist, political commentator, contributor to Sky News, and he's the author of a book called Notes from Woketopia, Laying Bare the Lunacy of Woke Culture. James, a special welcome along to 2020. Thanks for having me, Neil. I appreciate it. Now, James, I think in this case that Salman Rushdie was actually a critic of religion across the spectrum, not just Islam. What are your thoughts? Well, yes, he was. But in this particular instance, he wasn't attacked for being a critic of religion across the spectrum. He was attacked for things he had said about Islam. And when the ABC reported that Salman Rushdie had been attacked, they reported it exactly as you've described. They said... He was a fierce critic of religion across the spectrum. And it wasn't until the seventh paragraph of the article that they told you he was attacked for what he'd said about one particular religion. But, um, you know, I, I've got a background in journalism and journalists are taught don't bury the lead. Most people don't read the whole article. They just read the first one or two sentences. So most people reading that article, if they knew nothing about the history of Selman Rushdie, could have thought, well, was he attacked for upsetting the brass section of the Salvation Army band or was he attacked by a group of marauding Catholic nuns? You had to read deep into the story to understand, no, no, it wasn't the spectrum of religion. There was a particular religion that was so upset by what he wrote that they put a, uh, a fatwa on his head. So the media coverage was technically correct. Yes, he was a critic of religions, but for the last, what, 30 years, He's not been in hiding because Presbyterians are upset or a couple of Baptists have got their nose out of joint. He's been in hiding because one particular religion has said he must be killed. 
Let's talk about fatwas for a moment because uh, this was issued by the Ayatollah Khomeini back in the 1980s and as I understand it, uh, there was a little bit of a relaxation on that about a decade later and then uh, into the 21st century, uh, it was beginning to be reinforced and a bounty on his head. Uh, Fatwas actually can be quite powerful when they come from a religious leader. Yeah, well, it's a... a, um it's a legal ruling within Islam, and uh, it was issued by the then Ayatollah, who was the supreme leader of the Republic Islamic, uh, the, the Islamic Republic of Iran. This was back in 1989, a year after uh, Salman Rushdie's book, The Satanic Verses, was published. Now, uh, the only person that can revoke a fatwa is the Islamic leader who issued it, and uh, the Ayatollah died without ever rescinding the fatwa, and so therefore it remained. At one point, the Iranian regime did say that they no longer supported it, but they could not rescind it. And then they changed their mind and said they did support it after all. And of course, uh, the attack on Selman Rushdie uh, has been celebrated by official Iranian media. And it may not be the end of the story because, as I understand it, that fatwa going back to 1989 wasn't just about killing Salman Rushdie, but also his editors and publishers. So if I think if I was the editor or the publisher of the book, I think I might be taking a few uh, precautions right now. There could, there could be a few that could be worried by that. Well, well there have been some that have already been attacked. Um, one publisher who is translating uh, the satanic verses into another language uh, was attacked, and um, others have been in hiding. And you mentioned in your introduction that we effectively have a de facto blasphemy law now operating in the West. Um, it's not illegal to write the satanic verses, but no one would. Um, and if anyone was crazy brave enough to write what Selman Rushdie did today, there's not a publisher in the country that would dare to publish it. So but they haven't made um, criticism of Islam illegal, but they don't need to because everybody has got the message. If you say the wrong thing, uh, your life will be in danger. And so therefore, everybody self-censors. No need for official blasphemy laws. We have a de facto one. Yes, a de facto blasphemy law. And uh, just clarifying those things uh, from those early days, when Rushdie responded to India's banning of the satanic verses, he said the book isn't actually about Islam, but about migration, metamorphosis, divided selves, love, death, London and Bombay. Technically, we're talking about a a work of fiction here. And so he was writing about fiction, but I think uh, there was a whole lot of visions and things like that that included uh, the Islamic religion that really got him into trouble. Yes, well, Satanic Verses was a novel, and uh, he made some comments about uh, Muhammad and the Quran that uh, Islamic scholars took exception to uh, within the context of of a novel. But um, any criticism of uh, Muhammad or the Quran is completely out of bounds, and he suffered the consequences. Uh, Let's talk about media, because uh, there is a sense, isn't there, and some level of sensitivity may be a necessary thing. And so when we 
uh, talk about, say, the ABC coverage, uh, heeding, uh, hiding the lead, you know, down further in the story. Uh, the ABC apparently can barely bring themselves to say why he was laying in hospital with knife wounds to his neck and his torso. Uh, so it wouldn't be just the ABC. There'd be media outlets all around the world that would be a little bit cautious about how they report on this. Media outlets are very cautious how they report on this. And you remember, you know, it seems like a lifetime ago now, but in 2015, uh, the Charlie Hebdo officers in France were attacked after they uh, published a magazine cover uh, featuring a picture of Muhammad. And uh, I don't know if you remember at the time, the whole world was standing saying, you know, we are Charlie Hebdo. We stand with Charlie Hebdo. Well, um, well, uh, no one's standing with Charlie Hebdo anymore. In fact, there was a British teacher uh, who a year ago uh, dared to um, show a Charlie Hebdo uh, magazine cover to a group of school students when they were discussing uh, comparative religions. And uh, for that, um, he was forced to resign from his school and go into hiding. He's still in hiding one year later. And uh, Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister of uh, the UK, uh, said of Selman Rushdie that he was standing for rights we must all defend. Well, at the same time, Boris Johnson is saying that Selman Rushdie, in uh, commenting on Islam, has a right to do that. We need to defend his right to do that. There's a British school teacher in hiding right now uh, for simply showing a picture of Muhammad and no one's rushing to defend him. So whether it's politicians or the media, they talk out of both sides of their mouth on this issue. On the one hand, they say we must defend freedom of speech. But on the other hand, they self-censor and they are very cautious in what they say, um, lest they um, incur the wrath of, uh, of the mob. Let's talk about the tendency uh, to group all religions as basically the same. There's a lot of people around the world uh, who want to group Christianity in with Islam and then, I uh, guess, group everybody in together, the Hindus and the Buddhists. Uh, there's a tendency to just group everyone in if you're trying not to be offensive. Yeah, well, I mean, anyone who says that all religions are basically the same is simply demonstrating their own ignorance of comparative religion, because anyone who knows anything about religion knows they're not all basically the same. Um, they're incredibly different, but it's convenient to just say, well, all religions lead to violence, all religions cause trouble, uh, because that way you can just uh, get rid of the lot of them rather than doing the intellectual hard work of actually understanding them and, um, and dealing with them on their merits. And so really it's, it's a lazy man's game of just lumping all religions together and coming up with one solution that, that fits all. James, uh, let's get really controversial here and uh, I'll be appreciating your insights because uh, there is a sense here that Christianity used to have a threat too around things that would be even linked into the thought of uh, blasphemy. And Christianity used to have some teeth around excommunication. I wonder whether you've got any thoughts here, and I guess there's even a biblical base that goes back into the Old Testament, the New Testament, but thoughts here on why Christians don't get too upset when people are blaspheming our God. Well, you've raised a couple of issues. The first is, yes, Christians have uh, done things wrong in the past, and Christians have been violent towards those who have, uh, blasphemed uh, Jesus. But here's the difference. When Christians have overstepped the mark, they have self-corrected 
because of their own beliefs. So uh, the, when people have misused the Bible, Christians have gone back to Scripture and corrected themselves. That's not happened uh, in other religions. So I think that's, that's a very important point uh, to make. But to your other point, that Christians are often blasphemed and yet they don't react uh, with violence. Um, you know, there's, there's barely a arts festival these days, uh, usually government-funded, that doesn't uh, have some uh, uh, progressive, edgy artist claiming to be, um, you know, quite uh, um, avant-garde by, um, you know, putting a crucifix in a, a, uh, a jar of urine or, or, or something like that, whether it's a pop star Madonna hanging from a crucifix with a crown of thorns on her head or whatever. And Christians, of course, are upset by it, but they don't react violently because uh, Jesus, uh, who's the ultimate man, um, hung on a cross forgiving those who abused him and loving those who believed differently to him. And so he's our model, which is why we will react differently. And wherever Christians have gotten violent, um, as soon as they look back at who Jesus was, they immediately self-correct because, as I said, um, Jesus taught us to love our enemies and to um, pray for those who persecute us. And, and that's a big difference between Christianity and other, Isla other religions. And it goes back to the behavior and teachings of the founder. James, extending this, and we might be able to pick up on some of these things as our conversation continues, but there's some other issues that look very similar to the ways that a mob might rule when it comes to issues around blasphemy. And that might come to some of the newer and more modern agendas, like the LGBT agenda that seems to thrive on a similar sort of fear and intimidation uh, for those who don't celebrate their lifestyles. Any thoughts here on similarities, or is it actually drawing a long bow to actually link those two thoughts together? No, I, I think you're spot on. Um, it's very tempting to see similarities between hardline Islam and uh, the progressive left. Uh, both seek to silence any dissent. Uh, we're living in a, a culture right now where if you say that a man cannot be a woman or that a man cannot get pregnant, uh, you're in danger of being booted off social media and being isolated by your friends and maybe even losing your job. Um, the only difference I can see between uh, the censorship of hardline Islam that puts a fatwa on someone's head and the attempt to cancel people by woke culture is that uh, the woke won't go quite as far as the uh, Islamic extremists, but they're on the same continuum. Uh, the woke at this point just haven't taken that final step of calling for someone's death, but they'll certainly call for you to be uh, be ostracised, banned and deplatformed. And, and there's not that much difference. It's only a difference of degree. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. You might say we're in the deep end. Uh, there's a lot of really big tangents you can go off into a, a conversation like this. And we'll get into all sorts of issues around how the sorts of cultures that are growing around the world, and especially in Western nations, are even crippling creativity and 
artistic endeavour. Uh, you might like to have your own say on 1-800-316-316. James McPherson is our guest, independent journalist, political commentator, contributor to Sky News. James, just uh, let's hold on to this focus for a few moments around the fact that, uh, that woke culture creates a fear and intimidation factor because it seems to be all the more the case that people are finding themselves dragged before tribunals and courts accused of all sorts of things, even though they might stand for a good foundation, biological, scientific foundation of truth, uh, but that's not stopping them getting dragged before the courts. Any thoughts here on this fear and intimidation? Well, it's it's a very valid fear because uh, the reality is people are being dragged before the courts. A couple of years ago, we saw the uh, Catholic Archbishop of Hobart, Julian Porteous, uh, dragged before the Tasmanian Anti-Discrimination Tribunal for daring to publish a booklet on uh, Catholic uh, views of sexuality and marriage. Um, a Catholic priest publishing Catholic doctrine for parents at a Catholic school uh, spent more than a year in court and uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars defending himself against a uh, a transgendered Greens uh, political candidate who took exception to the Catholic view on marriage. Um, right now, I've got a friend uh, in Brisbane who's uh, going through the courts because he dared to publish a blog saying that drag queens reading stories to children in libraries uh, was not a great role model for children. Um, he spent hundreds of thousands of dollars um, and this court thing has been going on for well over a year um, and and even if at the end of it he's found to be okay it's the process that's the punishment so at the end of the court process you may get away with um, with no penalty but you've wasted a year or more of your life and hundreds of thousands of dollars on court fees and eventually people just learn, you know what, it's better just to censor yourself or say nothing or keep your thoughts to yourself than to risk uh, being dragged to anti-discrimination tribunals or courts. And so in that way, again, just as we have a de facto blasphemy law with regards Islam, uh, there are a whole lot of issues that um, it's not illegal to speak about them, but we dare not because we know what will happen if we do. It takes one disaffected person to say that their feelings have been hurt, and the next thing you know, you're in the dock, you're having to defend yourself, and um, you're wasting time and money in the courts for simply expressing an opinion. So the thought that there's no limits on our freedom of, of speech, but if you do happen to say what you believe, uh, you may well be drawn before the courts. And as you say, James, the process becomes the punishment. Hey, we're taking calls. 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call. Angela is in Tamworth in New South Wales. Hi, Angela. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to... Um discuss the point about the um, continuum that you talked about where, um, you know, there's the fatwa that says go and kill this person because they said something anti. And you were saying for the left, um, it's we do that cancel culture, but I tend to disagree um, on that point in terms of, you know, it might not be as dangerous, but there certainly are all the death threats and calls to kill someone Um uh, if they say something offensive. So it's sort of almost on an unofficial level that it occurs, such as your friend who's um, uh, in that court proceeding. I know, I think I know who you're referring to, and I believe they've received death threats as well. 
Uh, well, and Lord, is, you're yeah. quite right. Um, the, the author of, of Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling, has had to have police guard outside her house because she dared to say that uh, trans women are not women. And you, you're quite right. She's received so many death threats now that, as I said, she's got a permanent guard outside her house. Catherine DeVees, who stood for the North Shore uh, seat for the Liberal Party at the last federal election, uh, had to move her family and, and go into hiding for a period because she received death threats from the left, uh, because she dared to stand up for um, women's sport and for women having the right to have, uh, you know, bathrooms where men were absent. So you, you make a good point, and I stand corrected. Um, the left don't make, don't mind making death threats, and they they regularly do. Angela, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. It is going to take extra courage to stand for your convictions into the times to come because all of these threats might well be there facing you if you actually say what you believe. It could be a challenging time ahead, James. Well, what's happened, Neil, is that you would have heard this expression, you know, words are violence. Now, of course, words are not violence. Words are words. But we now have a culture where particularly our younger generation are coming through school and university and they're being taught that words are violence. So if I use words that upset you and if you believe those words are actually violence, well, then you can respond with violence to my words. And so we've created a tinderbox um, with this idea that words themselves constitute violence, which is what makes it then dangerous to use words that go against the narrative or that might upset the feelings of people who disagree. So, yes, to to speak truth and to simply say what you believe um, now requires such courage that um, people who say what normal people think are becoming something of an oddity and even a curiosity. Uh, most people just are so quiet that you start to think, well, um, does anyone believe what I believe or, or think as I do? And you'd be surprised. The majority of people think like normal people do. They're just too afraid to say it. And it's changing the culture. And that's why you might call it a cultural revolution that's going on, because uh, let's touch on the dimension of comedians here for a few moments. Uh, comedians being shut down. Uh, we're talking authors and journalists afraid to criticise. Uh, whole media channels afraid to criticise when there is some sort of a threat. Uh, you've got the likes of John Cleese, uh, one of the world's best-known and best-loved comedians, uh, who even studied law himself. Well, his thoughts were that uh, that the enemy... Uh, is not only of, uh, it says, wokeism is the enemy not only of humour, but of creative thinking and all areas of human activity. It really is an attack on the whole culture. Well, absolutely. And here's another similarity between extreme Islam and the woke left. It was the Ayatollah Khomeini who famously said there are no jokes in Islam. Uh, and have you noticed that the woke won't allow you to make jokes about anything, which is why Jerry Seinfeld will now not perform on university campuses because instead of laughing, everyone just gets angry at him and, and threatens him. John Cleese, as you pointed out, says that uh, the woke left have ruined comedy because everything is off limits now. You're not allowed to laugh about anything. And, and, and the reason that humour is banned is because ridicule and humour 
is the easiest way to expose inconsistencies and to expose lies. And uh, that's why uh, certain ideologies fear laughter or mockery because it's, it's like the old children's story of the emperor with no clothes. Um, he convinced everybody that he was dressed in such fine linen that it was invisible to the naked eye, but he was wearing clothes until a small child didn't know the rules, didn't uh, understand political correctness, that you're not meant to say what you actually think, uh, pointed out that the emperor was in fact naked and started laughing at him. And the moment that child laughed, the gig was up, everybody was laughing, and the whole house of cards collapsed upon, collapsed upon itself. So that explains why neither Islam nor the left will tolerate any jokes, because if people start laughing at the inconsistencies inherent with those ideologies, the whole thing falls apart. Now, this is why Christians can take a joke, because truth doesn't need defending. Truth defends truth, and it doesn't matter how much you laugh at truth, it's still truth. And uh, that's a sharp distinction between uh, Christianity and other ideologies. Incidentally, uh, speaking of John Cleese, um, I, I mean, decades ago, Monty Python did a famous skit which would now have them in all sorts of trouble. But they joked about a man who wanted the right to be a woman and the right uh, to have children. Um, and of course, in the Monty Python sketch, they, they joke that well, you can't have children, you're a man. And, and, and that sketch is hilariously funny, but it would be banned today simply because it, it, it exposes the stupidity of uh, that whole uh, transgender debate about men you know, can be pregnant and men can have periods and, and men can be women. But you're not allowed to make those jokes today because, as I said, it exposes the foolishness of these ideologies and you're not allowed to do that. Which, which if I can go one step further, Neil... It, it tells you something about these ideologies where they are so fragile that you're not allowed to joke about them. Um, if, if something is robust and if something is based on truth, then it doesn't matter if people joke. It's still truth. But if something is a house of cards, then, then we must stop anyone making fun of it because that will expose the fact that it really is a house of cards. Let's squeeze in a very quick comment before news. Graham is in Tasmania. Hi, Graham. Good morning. Need you know, to be quick, Graham. Looking at this very quickly, yes. Look, it's very hard as a Christian to see what's happening in the world. Very, very difficult to take on. And if I wasn't a Christian, I'd certainly be a different boat and a different way of handling this world. But God is allowing this to happen. All this crazy, just madness for the true Christian to endure and endure and not be moved because Satan is pressing hard against true Christians. Graham, good insight there. A quick response, uh, James. Yeah, look, Graham, you're absolutely right. And I think this is an incredible time, an incredible opportunity for Christians to be able to share the word of God and the truth of God with people because the, the church is about the last institution on the planet that is proclaiming truth. If you look at the transgender debate, it's really not ultimately about whether men can become women or girls sport or women's bathrooms. It's about truth, because if you can't say what a woman is, you can't say what anything is. And if you can't say what anything is, then you can't say anything is wrong. And a lot of people would love to live in a world where no one is allowed to say that anything is wrong. So this is less about men and women, bathrooms and sport, and more about does truth exist? 
does reality exist? And a culture can't survive with its feet firmly planted in midair, which is what our culture is trying to do. So there's an incredible opportunity for Christians right now to be able to talk to people about first principles, the fact that truth does exist, and the fact that there is something solid you can build your life upon. James, before we take some more calls, just back onto Salman Rushdie for a few moments here. The attacker reportedly only read just two pages of the satanic verses and made his assessment that Rushdie attacked Islam. I wonder if you've got any thoughts here on things that become triggers for people who are, you know, moving into an extremist form of their religious uh, motivations. Any thoughts here? Yeah, I. it's, it's funny, isn't it? He, uh, there's no appreciation of context there's no appreciation of motivation. It's just uh, words on a page that immediately uh, provoke a violent reaction. And um, I guess it speaks to the, the lack of thought and um, the lack of any intellectual rigor behind any of these things. Um, it's manic and, um, and it's illogical and it's irrational. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of irrationality um, and lack of logic in the world today amongst a whole lot of issues. I might just say that the alleged attacker, Hadi Matar is his name, 24 years of age, he's entered a not guilty plea to second degree attempted murder and assault charges. And Salman Rushdie, if you're wondering how he's doing, he suffered uh, some damage to his liver as well as uh, severed nerves in an arm and eye injuries in the attack, but was taken off a ventilator on Saturday. So it looks like uh, he might be returning to health. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from John in Brisbane. Hi, John. Hello, how are you? Good. What are your thoughts? I just, well, this reminds me of scripture, but I going to say, this guy must to attack old Salman. He must be a real psycho. I feel sorry for the guy's wife. Imagine being married to this bloke. Okay, well, but, there's, um, <laughs> there's, yeah, so were you going to add something? Yeah, it just reminds me of scripture our Lord Saviour said, you know, woe the offences come. Sign of the times, I think. Uh, not easy to hear every word you're saying there, John, but uh, you picked up something in there. Uh, James, uh, thoughts for John? I'm sorry, Neil and John. I, I was having difficulty hearing what John was actually saying there. All right. Well, there was, uh, there was a few thoughts about, uh, you know, whether uh, this attacker must be some sort of a psycho. Uh, the thought that, uh, you know, there might be something deeper that's going on that might uh, be part of that motivation. I suspect that's where John was going. Look, I think it's easy to dismiss um, jihadis as psychos, uh, and the media love to do that. They say, well, they are unhinged, they've got mental problems. Um, but let's make no mistake about this. Um, the Ayatollah who issued the fatwa in the first place, uh, he was not a criminal, he was not um, a psycho, he wasn't someone who was mentally unstable or you know, suffering from poverty or lack of internet access. Uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini is a perfectly rational actor um, who really does believe uh, what uh, Islam and the Quran teaches. And uh, the media love to dance around these things and pretend that oh, all these people are just nut jobs because the media can't conceive of people taking religion seriously. The problem is not, not nut jobs. The problem is people who take a particular ideology so seriously they're prepared to kill for it. 
John in Brisbane, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Nick is in Victoria. Hi, Nick. Welcome along. Oh, hi, uh, uh, Neil. It's very hard to come into your program. For three months, I waited for that. I gave up. And this morning, I said, now I'm trying again, you know. Well, Nick, here's so, your opportunity. What are your thoughts for our conversation today? Thank you. My thoughts, my thoughts about Islam, that there is also a good people, you know. And I have few friends in Brisbane, in, in Melbourne, and so on. Uh, this extremist, they said to me, uh, not... Islamic people, they they bunch of uh, killer. But when we talk about that, I said, look, I, I ran away from communism in Yugoslavia. I bump into another communism here because, like you said previous, there is no no freedom of speech. You said one word, you know, that you know it's like that, and they put you on the court. That happened to me, but I don't want to talk about the court. I want to talk about that that. Uh, Everywhere, every nation is good and bad. And, and as we know from, from the beginning, meaning Adam and Eve, we have this, uh, uh, um, this uh, kind of uh, talking about our, even our friends badly or, or good and so on. Nick, you make a really powerful point because, no, we don't want to tar everyone with the same brush because not everyone who uh, will identify as a Muslim is going to be an Islamic extremist. Uh, Let's get a thought or two here. James, your thought for Nick? I think it's really important when we're having these discussions to differentiate between people and ideas, between Muslims and Islam. Um, when we talk about Islam, we're talking about an ideology, not about you know your next door neighbour or your cab driver or or your friend at work. Um, what needs to happen is there needs to be a discussion in the West about whether the violence that is coming from Islamic extremists is a perversion of Islam or whether there is something within Islam itself that is empowering and enabling this. Unfortunately. That discussion is largely unable to be had because the moment you raise these issues, you're accused of being Islamophobic or you're putting yourself in danger. And and we need to have this discussion. But at the moment, uh, the atmosphere is not at all conducive to that. You're not allowed to have that discussion. And, and that does nobody, including our Muslim friends, any favours. Nick in Victoria, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to join in our conversation. Interestingly here, uh, when we're talking about differentiating those who would be peaceful within the uh, Islamic community, those who are Muslims, uh, and those who might be extremists, that may come down to the way that they're interpreting their holy scriptures. And we're challenged with that as Christian believers too, how we interpret our holy scriptures, the Bible. And so if you get wrong interpretations, it can lead you off on a tangent. Yes, you could even become extremist. Any thoughts here and for that, uh, for that thought, uh, James? Well, sure. Um, I mean, you know, people can twist uh, scriptures to uh, mean anything they want them to mean, um, which I think is why when you're looking at religions, you need to go back to the founder, look at his life, look at what he taught, look at how he behaved and take your cues from him. So uh, Muslims take their cues from Muhammad 
Christians from Jesus. And I, I think if you're comparing and contrasting religion and what they really stand for, you've got to go back to the original sources. Um, and and that's, uh, that's the best way of understanding true Christianity and true Islam. Let's come back to this issue of free speech, because no doubt uh, there'd be lots of people who would agree that Salman Rushdie should be able to write any sort of book that he would like and call it the satanic verses. And even if it was a criticism of Islam, then he should be able to write that. Uh, We might even have a, a few limits on the way we think about free speech. Because there's another angle, and it takes us even deeper into a discussion that Christians particularly ought to be thinking very carefully about, because there are all sorts of calls for bans of certain books on shelves in libraries. And uh, we're talking about a leftist agenda too, wokeism, that seems to be overtaking our culture. And there is a thought that even some books that are about LGBT issues, and especially as they target children, ought to be banned from libraries. So... I don't know whether you've thought deeply through this, James, but uh, but there's a big question about about all of this in free speech. Yeah, some people do try to make the equivalence. They say, well, you know, uh, people wanted to kill Salman Rushdie for what he wrote about Islam, but uh, some Christians want to ban LGBTQ books from their children's school library. What's the difference? Well, there's a big difference. Um, the the school library is uh, not a free-for-all, it's for educating children. And when you send your children to a a school, you're trusting uh, the educators to inculcate uh, the values to help them get a job and to to be educated. You're you're not um, counting on the school to uh, try to um, uh, propagate a certain ideology. So I think parents, when they say, look, we don't want those books in our children's school library, that's not a um, an impediment on free speech. Those books can be published anywhere. Just don't put them in my children's school library because um, when I send my children to school, I'm trusting that teachers are going to teach them English and math and history, not uh, try to um, inculcate them with um, leftist sexual and gender politics. What we're talking about here, I guess, is in a sense uh, around censorship, what should be censored uh, and what shouldn't be. And really, we don't have a, uh, a censorship law as such uh, here in Australia. Everything is classification based. But censorship and religiously motivated violence, uh, is there uh, a big enough threat from the mob uh, when there's a mob rule uh, or ought there be a rule of law? Because uh, this is where I think if you've got a rule of law, then censorship becomes very valid in the way that it ought to be uh, talked about. But uh, thoughts here around, you know, if, if there were solutions, uh, what would you talk about here, James? Part of the problem, I think, Neil, is that as a culture, we used to have shared values and we used to all understand what our shared values were. But... Uh, as society has become more pluralistic, and, and that's not been accidental. Our politicians have had uh, policies over the last number of decades um, where they have um, turned our society into a pluralistic society where there's many competing views. And so now there's not that shared sense of identity or those shared values. And so this then becomes very difficult in deciding what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. And uh, we've now got ourselves into a situation where increasingly uh, the only views that are deemed um, unacceptable are Christian views because Christians keep propagating truth. 
And uh, so you're allowed to say anything you want except that truth and reality really do exist, which is why, uh, you know, um, Christians tend to be fair game. Um, no one would ever force footballers to wear, you know, the crucifix in a special religious pride round. Uh, but the Manly Sea Eagles were uh, told you either play in a um, LGBTQ billboard or you don't play at all. And uh, they, of course, were Christians, and so they set the game out. But increasingly, you can only do that to Christians. It's open slather for everybody except for Christians because Christians stand for truth. So if you ignore God uh, in your culture, uh, you eliminate those shared values that actually do tolerate difference. And so if you get those values out of the way, you've got a new set of values that don't tolerate difference. And then, as you're saying, it's like Christians become the ones who are under attack because it's our values that are being displaced. Any thoughts here? You um, you raise a great irony, which I've I've been considering a lot, and that is that uh, the left use Christian values to create a world in which Christian values are no longer tolerable. Um, tolerance is a Christian values. Pagan religions weren't tolerant. Um, ancient religions weren't tolerant of people who believed differently or thought otherwise. That that's a Christian value, showing grace and kindness to people that disagree with you. Um, inclusion. Um, Diversity, those are Christian values, but they've been um, removed from uh, any belief in God and they've become uh, used to then um, cut against Christians themselves. Um, G.K. Chesterton, the great theologian, he said, when God is removed from culture, vice runs wild, and we understand that, but he said virtue also runs wild and does even more damage. And his point is that, when you believe in virtues, but no longer believe in the God who personifies those virtues, those virtues then get pushed so far, they actually become damaging. And so love comes to be defined as, well, just agree with everything and allow and permit everything because to put any restraints or boundaries on anyone, that's unloving. And of course, uh, that's a perversion of the meaning of love. But when you've dismissed any belief in God, who is love, you no longer know what love is. And so love becomes twisted, perverted, and becomes a bog of sentimentality rather than, than true love. And, and so you're right. Christian values, removed from any belief in God, then become perverted to create a society in which Christian values are no longer tolerated. I think there'll be a lot of listeners saying, I wish I could articulate things as well as James McPherson does. <laughs> when you're talking about how you might navigate the way forward uh, under a, a new and rising woke culture, uh, you're a Christian believer. You've got an idea that there is a transcendent God who uh, actually is the one who gives that rule of law, any sort of teeth and any sort of value to a society. And you're wondering how you maneuver forward in all of the challenges that you might be facing in your local school, even in your local church right now, where there's all sorts of challenges, churches going woke, uh, all sorts of uh, organizations uh, tend to be going woke, navigating the way forward. How do you see things? And uh, is there any tips and things that you might be able to share with listeners, James, about uh, how you might walk in a, a godly way in a woke culture? Uh, I think you can't change the world, but you can change your world. And I think it starts with people 
in their own world, which was in their own homes, with their own families and with their own friends, being being brave enough and honest enough to say what normal people would say and to uh, speak truth about things rather than just go along with the narrative. Um, people are quiet because people are quiet. But as soon as people start to say what they really believe, it encourages and empowers other people to say what they believe because they realize I'm not the only one who feels this way. I'm not the only one who's seeing these things. But the, the culture of silence intimidates and convinces so many people that they must be unusual or there must be something wrong with them or maybe they don't see things because no one else is saying anything. And, and so I think that as we all just have a little bit of courage to speak the truth about things where we are and with those closest to us, it, it encourages and empowers those around us. The other thing I'd encourage people to do is, you know, uh, Jesus asked a lot of questions, which is is quite a paradox, right? Because Jesus was omniscient. He knew everything, and yet he often asked questions. And the reason he asked questions was he was trying to get people to come back to first principles and to identify what were they building their worldview on. And, and I think it's a helpful tool when we ask other people, well, why do you believe that? And, and then say, well, if you believe that, how does it work in this instance? And fairly quickly, people start to realize that they themselves have internal inconsistencies in their own worldviews and that their own worldview doesn't make sense. And then there's the opportunity to share first principles from the Christian faith and to start to talk about how God defines reality and God defines truth and it all makes sense. Uh, we are Christians because Christianity is the best explanation for reality as we experience it. And I think as we share along those lines in a world that's desperately searching for truth and reality, there's a real opportunity to have uh, meaningful and profound discussions with people. I, in the last couple of months, I've talked to so many journalists and politicians who say things like, I'm no longer an atheist. I'm not yet a Christian, but for the first time in my life, I'm open to spiritual things. And when I ask them, what's made you open to spiritual things all of a sudden, they say, my whole life I've been able to explain what's going on in the world through my political and philosophical education. But for the first time, I don't understand what's happening anymore. The world seems to have gone mad and I'm open to the possibility there may be a spiritual dimension. I think these are exciting times for us to be able to share faith with uh, people that previously might have been close to it. Well, as things deteriorate, uh, one of the bright uh, white silver linings on the dark cloud is that we get to have conversations like this, really meaningful conversations. And I know that listeners will take on board that thought, ask questions, because if you ask enough of the right questions, sometimes that argument, that person who is uh, amongst the, the woke culture uh, will have to ask themselves the same questions and will have to convince themselves that they themselves are right, uh, but there can be an unravelling there. James McPherson is an independent journalist, political commentator, contributor to Sky News, and I might just say, uh, James, as I give uh, how listeners can connect with you, you've, you've been offered a regular panellist spot on Sky on the Rowan Dean program, so uh, how's all that going? Rowan Dean's got a, a great program, uh, 9 p.m. on Sky Television, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, 9 p.m. till 10 p.m. It's called The World According to Rowan Dean, and uh, it's a great show. Rowan Dean is a great host, 
And, uh, yeah, I've got the opportunity. Um, I'm not sure how long it's going to last, but at the moment, um, every Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday to be a panellist on that program, I'm, I'm loving it. Um, it's a new thing for me, but uh, it's a great opportunity and I'm having a lot of fun. Undoubtedly, you'll bring a tremendous dimension to uh, the issues that they'll raise on that program. Uh, mentioning to your book, Notes from Woketopia, Laying Bare the Lunacy of Woke Culture, and no doubt uh, listeners will be able to get that from uh, all good bookstores or get it online. Uh, also, just subscribing to a free news article every morning on faith, politics and culture. There's ways that listeners can do that. And uh, jot this down, James McPherson dot substack.com james mcpherson dot substack.com and uh, these sorts of issues that we're talking about today uh, these are the sorts of issues you're commenting on each day and uh, whether it's woke culture or these issues that are prominent issues in the media around islam this is the sort of thing you like to cover james yeah uh, so uh, as i said every day 6 a.m in your inbox you'll get a brand new article talking about faith, politics, or culture from a Christian worldview. And I, I, my, my aim is to help people see that as a Christian, you're not the one who's gone mad. You're not the one who's narrow-minded or bigoted. It's not you. It's the world. The world has changed, but the Christian faith has not. And uh, I, I think it hopefully gives people courage and uh, helps them to be bold, realizing, you know what, um, you're okay. Uh, the world has gone a bit mad and uh, hopefully gives people the language to be able to articulate it and talk about these things with friends in a way that is uh, sensible and winsome to people who perhaps don't share our faith. You can subscribe to that free news article, jamesmcpherson.substack.com. James, thanks so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.